Welcome to Lawyer Business Advantage. This podcast is dedicated to helping attorneys earn more money, get better clients, and spend more time with family. I'm your host, Alej Yajnik, founder of Law Firm Success Group. Smart business guidance for small law firms begins in three, two, one. And it's my pleasure to welcome to Lawyer Business Advantage, Spojmi Nasiri, the owner of the law office of Spojmi Nasiri, a fantastic immigration attorney. And one of the things I love about the immigration attorneys that, that I've spoken with is how passionate they are about the kinds of clients that they serve and helping the clients whom they serve. Spojmi, I know you have a really unique take on things um, with regards to Afghanistan. Love to share, uh, love for you to share what's been going on over there. Well, I mean, as, as you know, we all know and we know around the world, we saw the chaotic and dangerous uh, uh, evacuation after the fall of Kabul on August 15, 2021. Over 85,000 Afghans were evacuated here to the U.S. and there are hundreds of thousands of others waiting in different countries to, to be able to migrate to the U.S. So the evacuation in and of itself was very dangerous, very chaotic as we all unfold you know, people running to their planes and the suicide bombings and um, whatnot. And so those are going to have, you know, long-term impacts here as people try to resettle. And how did you get involved um, helping these uh, Afghan uh, refugees come to the U.S.? So um, I'm an Afghan refugee myself. I came here in the 1980s uh, with my family as a result of the Soviet war. Grew up in the Bay Area and as Afghan-American as an immigration attorney, personally, for myself, didn't feel like there was any other option but to, to step up and then play a role in, in helping um, through my connections through the American Immigration Lawyers Association uh, and through the um, Catholic Bishop Churches, I was able to uh, get access um, and provide legal services along with many of my client, uh, colleagues around the U.S. and go to the bases and be able to provide legal services to the Afghans. So the military bases were in the East Coast, like Virginia, New Jersey, Texas, New Mexico, uh, New Jersey. So I have had the opportunity to go seven of the eight military bases to provide legal services uh, for Afghans. I also speak Pashto and Dari, which are the main languages. Uh, so I think that it was very valuable to be able to go and provide these services. Wow. And this is a side of things that we don't hear about unless we dig for it. I remember when the U.S. pulled out of Afghanistan, it was all over the news and it was all that I could read about. And I really um, found it helpful to read that information. And then within a week, nothing and nothing since. So tell us a little, little bit because you're in it and you're seeing it. What is going on? Uh, what has gone on since the evacuation and what's going on these days? Well, one of the challenges that we, you know, in the legal field arena and in advocacy groups, what we saw was the Afghans were what's called paroled in. They were paroled in for two years, which allowed them to get work authorization for two years. Uh, that differentiated them between uh, asylum seekers who came in or refugees. Um, the refugees were, when admitted, are allowed to get public benefits. So off the, the offset, the challenge was you brought in these people are paroled in, but they were not entitled to you know, benefits and services that would help them uh, you know, provide for them in the time being. So a lot of a lot of headaches, a lot of heartache, a lot of advocacy work around uh, getting those benefits. So the parolees are able to get a, up to a year um, assistance from resettlement agencies um, and whatnot. And the other challenge is, is that during the Trump administration, 
uh, there was a pushback on, on refugees being admitted. And in the U.S., there are nine uh, resettlement agencies where, which were pretty much on the brink of closing because no refugees were being admitted under the Trump administration and the funding was cut. Then you have the perfect storm of bringing up to 85,000 Afghans to the U.S. and then giving the responsibility to the resettlement agencies to resettle them. Uh, resettlement process takes years. You, you, know, you get a housing, you get benefits, you, you know, stage a home, you do all of that, and then you bring in a family one at a time. Well, the, these Afghan refugees were brought into the military bases house temporarily. Some under not very good conditions on the military bases in you know the deserts of New Mexico, for example, to a hotel in you know in New Jersey and so whatnot. And now they have all been taken off these bases and 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 settled in Airbnbs, settled in um, all across the United States, from small towns to large towns and hotels. And a lot of them have large numbers of children. So now the resettlement agencies are tasked with the unfathomable task of trying to resettle these individuals. And so many continue to be in hotels and no housing. So they're trying to do the best that they can with the resources that they have to resettle every single Afghan within the larger community. In the Bay Area, we have a large influx of these refugees here, right here in the Bay Area, and also in Sacramento area. So a lot of the sought out areas were California, Texas, Washington, D.C., Virginia, because that's where Afghans are. But the cap was the resettlement agencies couldn't take them on. So they've been taken to Cleveland, Ohio, uh, Indiana, Toledo, Michigan, you name it. Uh, and in places where very rural, where they don't have access, and so they have challenges of language barriers, getting resettled. Uh, and the biggest obstacle is now that they have the two-year parolee status, they must apply for some sort of permanent relief, whether they're going to be applying for asylum, which is a one-year deadline from the time they came in, or what's called a special immigrant visa if they were working with the U.S. government in some capacity. They have to apply and get um, permanent status, which has been a challenge in and of itself. This all sounds incredibly complicated and taxing an already overloaded system. Um, tell us a little bit about the work that you've been doing uh, with these refugees. So, so what I've been doing is, uh, first and foremost, you know, going on these bases, providing cultural competency uh, for a lot of people who don't understand the intricacies of the Afghan dynamics and the cultural and how to approach. Uh, these people have severely, severely suffered from, you know, the chaos at the airport to being taken to a military base in Germany or Qatar under extreme, extreme uh, circumstances lack of resources, and then to be brought in to these military bases and some in, in not so great conditions. Now they're tasked with, you know, resettling in the United States and not having access to legal services. So what I've been doing is I'm part of the, Af uh, the uh, American Immigration Lawyers Association Afghan Task Force. Um, many thousands of my colleagues have wholeheartedly given their time, dedication to try to find out how we can get legal services We've gone on the basis to provide a guidance on what their, what their statuses are. Many people don't understand what their status is. Many of them are not able to read and write in Pashto or Dari or comprehend what's going on. And so when I went on these bases, you know, four to five days at a time to the seven bases over the last six months, I went in with the idea that I'm an African-American, I speak Pashto, I speak Dari, I'm an attorney. 
here's your status. Here's what's going to happen. This is what you're going to have to do. This is where you're going to have to find a lawyer. And if there were some cases which we could help up front, like get their green card because they'd already finished the process, the embassy closed. The second component has been doing a lot of legal advocacy and legislative advocacy on a national level. Uh, we were hoping to pass what's called the Afghan Adjustment Act, which is similar to the Cuban American Adjustment Act. It would allow for Afghans a pathway to get um, a green card rather than going through the asylum process, because right now there's about 450,000 asylum applications. Why that's dire, why that's dire is because a lot of the Afghans that work with the U.S. government that were pulled out are the men of the, of the household. Their children, their spouses are separated. People were stampeded at the airport. They thought the spouse or the children got on another plane and they got on another plane, only to find out that they were left behind. So having the Afghan Adjustment Act would give them a pathway to get a resident card, which would then allow them to bring their families in. Because right now the U.S. government uh, is not evacuating actively anybody. Uh, and now with the situation in Ukraine, Afghanistan has been even more put on the back burner. It's true. Like you, like you said, the first week we were hearing everything about Afghans and then everything died out. Yeah. Do you have some sense of what is going on in Afghanistan these days? I do. Uh, you know, contact in contact with my clients. Um, so a lot of them, because of the embassy being closed, I'm not able to pursue their cases forward. Many people are in, you know, um, safe houses, hiding that uh, they've worked for the government. A lot of people that should have been pulled out did not get pulled out. Um, and so their lives are in danger. Um, my clients, I'm not able to continue their cases because the embassy is closed. We're not able to transfer their cases to neighboring uh, countries with U.S. embassies because they are not taking Afghans. So the situation is very dire. On the humanitarian side, millions of people are starving on the brink of starvation, uh, up to a million children. Um, can be harmed. So the situation on every level you can think of is catastrophic. Um, we've gone back to the dark ages in terms of women rights, human rights. Um, a lot of the people that were able to get out were those who needed to get out that were giving back to the community, professionals like doctors, lawyers, journalists, human rights activists, women. They've all sought to get out. So Afghanistan is left with a regime that's uneducated and unable to move the country forward at this point. Yeah, it's just heartbreaking. Um, and there were refugees that made it to this country. There's, it sounds like there's a lot who are trapped in Afghanistan and trying to get out. And there's others you mentioned who made it to other countries and now are trying to get into the U.S. What is that process like for them? Well, they have what's called the humanitarian parole and the USCIS government, uh, portion of the government, you know, were saying that they were taking humanitarian paroles in order to get people out. Up to 45,000 applications have been submitted. Millions of dollars were paid to get their families out. To date, only 170 petitions were approved. We're talking month six now. So there's no avenues for people to get out. Uh, people are taking charter planes to countries like Kosovo, Albania, UAE, Qatar, all these countries in the hopes that once they get out, of they're, they're smuggled or whatever, they think they can come to the U.S. Well, they don't have the authority to bring them to the U.S. So you're seeing Afghans spread out all across the globe in the hopes that they would be brought in here. Uh, you know, I get calls every single day. You know, my family's in this country. I got on a charter plane. I paid $15,000, $20,000 now when I come to America. Well, the avenues are not there. I was in one camp where I spoke with 300 men who worked with the government, and they all left in a chaotic moment. 
every single one of their family members are left in Afghanistan should or when the Taliban find out that these men have left and they work for the government, their families are in danger. I met, you know, a man with a seven-year-old daughter who got separated from his wife and daughter. And he says, what am I supposed to do with this seven-year-old child? She's crying. She wants her mother. There's a lot of mental issues. There's psychological trauma. There are children, up to 1,100 children, unaccompanied minors who are separated from their parents, not only here, but in other countries um, that need to be reunited. Um, so, so the conditions are, uh, you know, tough for, for, for everybody in every front. And as these individuals start to resettle, uh, you know, finding the means of legal services and language barriers, one of the things I've done is um, an organization called Tarjumly. It's called T-A-R-J-I-M-L-Y. It's a nonprofit organization that started out of the Syrian crisis. And what they do is they provide free translators. Um, and I've been working with them and they've been getting about, you know, 600 Pashto speakers and about 850 Dari speakers. So you download the app and you're in the middle of nowhere and a family took you and they don't speak the language. You, you can call that, you can download the app and you'll get a translator for you within two minutes. So I've been really working with them because the language barrier is going to be very, very crucial. The U.S. government rolled out a program where adopt an Afghan family. So a lot of the vets, a lot of the military people are, you know, really, really fighting for, for Afghan uh, refugees and trying to get more people out. Uh, they have stepped up and, you know, taken in families. I know in Sacramento area, many vet families who have space have taken in whole families uh, and supporting them. So, and then there are many who are still in, you know, right around here in the Bay Area, San Jose, Fremont, Hayward. They're still in hotels uh, because there's no capacity to house them uh, and be able to provide services for them. Well, it's it's just an absolutely awful situation. And I'm, I'm delighted to hear, but not surprised to hear that so many veterans have stepped up to house and help out these people. One question that may that people may be asking themselves who live in the United States and who have never, you know, spent a lot of time elsewhere um, or in a, in a country which had a lot of poverty is why are all these Afghans so intent about getting to the United States? Why can't they go to other countries? Um, what's your perspective on that, Spojmi? Well, we have to look at it from the perspective that these were 20 years of U.S. allies. They gave up their lives. They gave their families. They risked everything to serve alongside uh, the U.S. military or the military for Canada. So we are taking the large number because I feel like we have a moral obligation. Uh, we, uh, My fellow Afghans served alongside and gave up so much of themselves and their families so when you say, why do they want to come here? It's not that they, it's just here. It's just that this was the country that they supported in the last 20 years. But having said that, you know, Canada has taken 20,000 plus. Other countries have taken them. But um, America is the land of opportunity. It's not just Afghans. It's every person on this earth who could have an opportunity to come here would want to come here. But to separate the, the question about why Afghans is because they have served alongside and um, many, many, many for the thousands that were brought in tenfold more who served alongside the U.S. Uh, didn't have the opportunity to be able to get evacuated and come here. And now they're in dire situation. I had a gentleman tell me that he served for 12 years with the U.S. military directly. So he was able to get evacuated. But now his family is getting threats. Um, his brothers, his mother, his parents, he goes, every time I get a call, 
I feel like it's a, it's a gunshot to my head because I don't know what they're going to tell me. Um, same thing with fathers telling me about their wives and their mothers and then, you know, the, the fear and the genuine concern for their loved ones up behind is real. We're seeing it. We're seeing the Taliban, what they were capable in the, in the 2000. And it's similar to, you know, those things that they did then that they're doing now. And even if their lives are not in danger, women don't have a right. They're not going to be able to freely have a career, go to school and do all that. So that is why, um, you know, not only Africans, but everybody around the world seeks to come to the U.S. for opportunities for protection and, and for the you know, opportunity to uh, flourish. It's important for us here in the U.S. to uh, to not lose sight of that and to be grateful for what we have and to enable other people to come here and take advantage of the same things that that we've that we've had for some time, especially when there are allies. Um, and Spojmi, you've been doing so much. You've been going on bases. You've been doing a lot of advocacy. Tell me a little bit about your law firm and how you're able to balance doing all this great work for Afghans with your you know the day to day of your firm. So you know, as a solar practitioner, I have uh, three paralegals and. It had been truly a roller coaster. Every trip I take has uh, an emotional impact that I didn't expect. And you coming back and trying to regroup um, and try to get your thoughts back. Um, I think I, I work quite a lot, most like most of my colleagues, um, maybe not so much of a balance of work and, and, and life, family life. And so um, I do lots of cases. I do deportation defense. I do family-based. I do legal advice letters for for clients with criminal issues. Um, And so this perspective of of helping the Afghan, I think, came to me on the front burner because I felt a personal moral obligation that I am where I am because many people helped me along the way. And I feel like it's my opportunity to be able to help those. There's not many Afghan-American attorneys, particularly immigration. So so I, I feel an honor and a privilege to be in the position that I am. And so I try to balance my work. I work, you know, quite a bit and manage, you know, the load of my personal work here at work uh, versus this work. And so it's, it's a balancing act. And suppose me, you partner with, uh, with different kinds of, of attorneys and law firms across the country. Um, who are those and what kinds of firms do you typically partner with? So, so in, uh, in the immigration world, I do every aspect of immigration, except I don't do employment-based immigration. So many of my family law attorney colleagues that I reach out to in collaborating, they may need, their clients may need immigration services, or maybe their client is family law, they're going through a divorce and they had a green card status and they need to figure out what's going to happen. So a lot of my colleagues in the family law um, uh, firms will reach out or refer clients over to my office and I assist them. In addition, uh, criminal law attorney, if they have immigrant clients, so for example, a client is a green card holder and they got arrested for domestic violence or DUI or theft, now they need an advice letter in terms of what are the immigration consequences. Um, a lot of the criminal attorneys will want to just stay away from the immigration aspect and refer them out. So those are the two components. And then other colleagues who may run into an immigrant that they're representing for a state or um, in a corporate or a bankruptcy, and they need some immigration because there's a lot of immigrants in the Bay Area that need some sort of services related to immigration. I couldn't agree more. And suppose me, thank you so much for your doing, for what you're doing for immigrants, especially uh, the Afghan immigrants who are trying to get into this country. Um, it's just, uh, it's amazing work that you do. And I love that you're able to balance that, even though you said there's not much balance, you're able to make it work, balancing all that great work you do with your, uh, with your clients that you're bringing in 
and with your family life as well. And I know it's a tough time right now, and it has been since the evacuation, but think about maybe some positive things. And what are you looking forward to in your law firm over the next year, year and a half? So I think, you know, as much as what I talked about was daunting, I think that collaboratively as a community, whether in the, you know, nonprofit sector or your, you know, a a church or a mosque or a synagogue and seeing the camaraderie for for the Afghan refugees and and have the hope that in the long run, they will be okay. They're here, they're safe, and they will face struggles just like any other immigrants and then be okay. In terms of my law firm, I just, you know, continue to do the work that I'm doing and helping all my clients from every walk of life, whether they're Latino or African-American or, or whatever background they are. Um, I really take pride in my work and uh, giving the clients that comfort, knowing that, yes, uh, you're hiring an attorney, but also someone who has personal connection and personal sympathy to to the immigration process, which I myself, uh, just a short note, I, I came here as a refugee with my father and siblings, and I was separated from my own mother for, for many years. And then as a teenager, I was reunited with her. So when I hear these stories about being separate and stuff, it hits home. And I think that's what sort of distinguishes me from from uh, in my own field and, and work, because I'm passionate about what I do. You can have a business and, and, and be passionate and, and be caring, and that goes a long way. It absolutely does. Uh, and again, tons of respect for everything you're doing, Spojmi. It's it's just it's just amazing. Um, and if people want to connect with you, what's the best way for them to do that? So the best way would be is to to email me directly, Spojmi at nasirilaw.com. I check my messages peri- uh, periodically, and I'm always responsive. No matter where I'm at, I have access to my email. So the best way would be via email. Suppose me, thank you so much for sharing this situation, sharing your story and talking a little, little bit more about what you do today on the program. Really appreciate having you. Thank you very much for the opportunity, LA. And, and uh, I hope that um, you know the message of, of hope and, and camaraderie just goes a long way in, in this time of need for everybody. I couldn't agree more. Everyone, that's Spojmi Nasiri, the owner of Law Office of Spojmi Nasiri. That's a wrap for this episode of the Lawyer Business Advantage podcast. One thing that would really help both us and other new potential listeners is for you to rate this show and leave a comment in iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you tune in to listen. And I want to hear from you. So connect with me on LinkedIn and let me know what you think of this episode. And if you are a solo or an owner of a small law firm, and you're looking to earn more money, attract better clients, or reduce your stress, We would love to talk with you to see how we can help. Request your free law firm assessment by visiting lawfirmsuccessgroup.com. Again, that URL is lawfirmsuccessgroup.com. We look forward to talking with you soon. Thank you for listening. My name is Ale Yajnik. Until next time, remember, you can seize freedom. You can embrace happiness. You can build your perfect practice.